Welcome to Honest Money, your best guide to financial freedom. I'm Warren Ingram, the author of a few best-selling books, and I'm also an award-winning financial planner, and I've helped thousands of people on their journey to financial freedom. I'm not here to tell you what to do, but I am here to share my experience and the best ideas that I've learned, and I hope these ideas help you on your journey to financial freedom. Welcome to Honest Money. Uh, I'm really excited today to welcome back one of my favorite guests, Grant Locke, who is head of Artfest. Grant, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Warren. It's great to be on the show, and I really enjoy speaking to you and your listeners. So uh, w- one of the big th- themes around investing is, is always this concept of fees. And, uh, and you know, people like me talk about this quite a lot. And, and I, d- I feel we often don't really explain why fees are important. And, um, and I know that it's, a, it's quite a theme for you as well uh, and, and something that you believe is, is, is a focus area that we should have, all of us, when we're looking at how we place our money and where we place our money. So, so I thought uh, t- today to start, l- let's talk about fees in a bit more detail. And, and really, the, the, it's a simple question, I guess, with a complicated answer, but, but why are fees important? So I think the, the thing is, is that you know, the, the returns that a client gets are what's left over after the market returns and the fees that are taken out of someone's investment. But I think what's super important about fees and what makes it so devastating over the long term is that when you just remove the monetary value of fees from someone's investment every single month or every single quarter, you also lose the compounding effect that those, that money would have had had it stayed invested. And if you do that over sort of long time periods of 15 to 20 years, that's really where the impact on the outcomes that you're going to get out have got material impacts for everyone, where something that seems very small can end up being really large, a really large impact on your retirement or on your end investment goal. So, so let's just uh, kind, of, kind of make that a little bit more concrete. Uh, if we're talking about, uh, about fees and you're saying something small, what you're really talking about there is if someone says to you, uh, you know, my investment will cost uh, you know, 1% a year and someone else's will cost 3% a year, it doesn't feel like a big number because we're talking about a difference of 2%. And you know, if you've got 10,000 Rand and you say, well, you know, 2% of 10,000 Rand, that's not a lot of money. So, you know, why am I worrying about that? And you're saying actually that, that even though it feels like a small number, that 2% uh, as a difference, it, it over time becomes a very big number. That's exactly right. I mean, if you, if you think about it, let's, let's move into RAND terms, right? So if it's one RAND out of every 100 or three RAND out of every 100, you're right. When you look at it from a day-to-day basis, it just doesn't seem like a lot of money at all. But the problem is, is when you start to take that, that sort of three rand out of 100 and you take three rand out of 100 every single year out of your investments, or in this case, yeah, 3%, that's the bit that over time compounds. And it can end up in something like 20 to 30 to 40% of the value of your investment can be influenced by that change between 1% and 3% in fees. And that's really where people... I think we, we started, people are starting to, to realize this about the fact that fees can have a massive impact. And it was something that, to be honest with you, has been in the industry for quite a while. And I think that consumers are now starting to become aware of, and it can have such a big impact on what they get out. So, so let's just keep it, uh, keep, keep it concrete. So you're saying, uh, if I invest my money and I stay disciplined and I do my monthly amounts and I, I stick to my plan, 
uh, and I'm in a in a low, well, well, let's just say a normal cost investment for what what the industry used to charge, uh, kind of as a standard. I might end up just for argument's sake with a million rand. And you're saying that uh, you know someone who invests in a very similar kind of investment, but just at a much lower cost, might end up with 1.3 or 1.4 million rand over a long period of time. That that's that's actually the the impact of fees. Yes, that that is what I'm saying. That's the impact of fees over long investment time rates. That's correct. Okay, so so I think that that's a critical point. You know, we, we always uh, make the mistake of talking about percentages the whole time, and you know, fees uh, in, in this kind of academic concept, right? And and actually, we need to make it nuts and bolts. Most of us would like to save one million rand or ten million rand over our lifetime and build up, you know, a nice asset base. And and so by just focusing on fees, uh, you can make that difference. Let's say it's ten million rand. It goes from ten to thirteen million. And you've done nothing special. It's not like you've chosen, um, you know, the fund manager that's chosen the best shares and been in the Amazons and the Netflixes at the right time and then gone into mining or whatever. This is just saying two fund managers, exactly the same skill, but one charges a lot less than the other. Yes. And I, I think that's the bit that if, if you think about it, over the long term, the thing you've got the least control over is the future performance. It's what everyone talks about. When we talk about investing, we're like, okay, well, what's your returns been? What do you think you're going to get out next year? Where are you going to move my money? Where's the biggest you know, potential opportunity for, for returns? That's the dialogue we have with clients every single day. But in reality, that's the bit that everyone's got the least certainty, the least control over. The thing that you've really got control over as a client is actually your fees. Funnily enough, if you just make that small change around reducing the fees that you pay and understanding, of course, the service that you receive, you can have a massive impact on your investments. And that, I think, is the new paradigm that's coming into the industry. Uh, and so to play on your words, I mean, a bit of small change saving every now and then becomes big change later. Uh, and. Yeah. And and so I think let's talk about how we do that. You know, on the again more more nuts and bolts. So if I want to save fees as an investor, uh, I, I think one of the big themes, and it's mine. This is you know the the kind of honest money show, and one of our our, our drum beats that we like to beat all the time is you know look at the, look at the way that you can invest and and to save fees is. You know, index investing. And, and so what is index investing? I'll, I'll, I'll give a bit of a brief there because I'm going to give you a bit of a harder question now. So I don't want to give you all the easy questions. Uh, so, so just as a reminder for, for, for people that are, that are um, watching and listening, index investing is where you say, for example, in South Africa, we want to track uh, how the, the top 40 or top 50 biggest companies in South Africa, how they're performing, how can I buy them and how can I do it in the cheapest way possible? And, and one of the ways to do this is that you buy a, a thing called an index, which is, which is created. It's, it's, it's something that's managed and monitored all the time, not by fund managers, but by index creators. And you know, the, these, are, these are people that don't have a vested interest in choosing particular shares. All they want to do is replicate exactly what the stock market has done. So, for example, if Anglo-American has a really good uh, three-month period, and it goes from being the third biggest company on the stock exchange to the second biggest company in the stock exchange, and you own a, an index, what will happen is over time, Anglo-American will become your sec second biggest share as well, because all that's happening is the index tracker as a provider of the, of, the, of the investment is trying to replicate what's going on in the index. 
And so the logic of buying index investments over time is that it's very hard for fund managers. So, so where you pay a fund manager to try and choose the shares that do better than the index, what history shows is not just in South Africa, but right around the world, it's about two out of 10. Two out of 10 fund managers get it right to beat the index over long periods of time. And, and in some cases, it's only one out of 10. And my problem is, as, as someone who's trying to recommend investments all the time, is it's not the same fund manager who gets that right every year or every decade. And so, so yes, they do get outperformance, and, and the ones that get it right do achieve big outperformance. The problem is we can't get consistent in terms of choosing those fund managers at the start of their, their, their investment kind of track record. We only know it once they've done it, and history can tell us what they've achieved. So, so the reality is, uh, if you want to control costs, like Grant says, th th then one of the big ways to do that is to say, okay, let me buy an index, uh, because then you've got certainty that you're going to replicate whatever the index has done. Yes, you don't control how the index is going to grow. It might double, it might halve, but you are going to get that performance and you're going to get it at a very low fee. So, so from that perspective, I think it's a great outcome for, for investors. That's not to say that you, you shouldn't look at active managers who try and beat the index as well. I, I think we shouldn't be so um, binary in our investment world where we say there is only one way for everybody. There will be people that will achieve outperformance and that's good for them, but understand the risks and make sure that you're paying the right fees. But if we're talking about index investing and trying to make things easy and accessible for investors, then, then I think index tracking uh, is a good way to start. And then we need to understand that there are really, I think, two main ways that private investors can buy an index. Uh, the one is what we call an exchange-traded fund. Uh, you know, the, the kind of shortening of the abbreviation for that is ETF. And the other way is that you can access uh, um, index tracking investments via Unitrust. And I thought that that's worth focusing on with you today, Grant, is just to say, you know, is there a difference between those two? Are they kind of, you know, is it exactly the same cheese just with a different label on or, or is the ingredient different and, and are there things that we, we need to know about? So thank you very much for taking away all the, for answering the easy questions. But I think <laughs> I just want to add, yeah, I've got a, so the way that I think about it is, is an, you know, this index tracking is actually just a set, it's like, it's a, it's a recipe, that's what it is. So people write down a recipe of what they're going to do, and that recipe is repeatable time and time again. And it gives you most of what a normal fund manager would do. Not everything, because of course a fund manager will have decisions over whether they buy or sell or overweight certain shares in their portfolio. Whereas an index, as long as you stick to that set of rules, whether it's by the top 40 or 50 largest companies on the JSE, and that is a repeatable way to get investment exposure. So that's how I think about it. So that, that it really doesn't matter. And a, a lot of people tie back the index to an ETF. So we've got this very strong link in the market between that everything in, you know, everything index tracking is ETF only. And that's not actually true. Index tracking is really a way of investing money. And it, it has a lot of different flavors. The way you implement it could be in an ETF and it, or it could be in a unit trust or many other ways of doing it. I think one of, so you've got this feeling around that an, that an ETF is automatically cheaper. And the way that people look at this is they look at the, the fund fact sheet, for example, of a unit trust, and they look at the fund fact sheet of an ETF and they say, well, actually, you know what? Mostly an ETF is going to be much cheaper. I'm going to buy an ETF. I think what people are missing, though, is that there's a difference in the way that your money gets into the fund between a unit trust and an exchange traded fund. So in a unit trust, we call them off-market. 
And what happens is that your money is invested directly inside that unit trust. And so it arrives inside the unit trust bank account as cash. And the fund manager has to go and then buy stocks inside that unit trust. And so all the fees and costs of that fund manager buying those stocks are captured in the unit trust. But an ETF is different. When you go to an ETF, you have to do it through the market. You either go through the primary or the secondary market of the stockbrokers. But you now have to pay a fee to get inside that unit trust. And that fee will consist typically of your stockbroking. There might be a um, straight cost, which is the cost of clearing, and a few other costs to get you inside. So if you want to compare the fees between a unit trust and an ETF, you have to take into the fact, account the fact that you're going to pay to enter unit trust. And I think that's what a lot of people miss with regards to the difference between the two um, ways, of, ways of getting index tracking into your portfolios. So, so just, to, just to backtrack slightly, you're, you're, you're saying to get into the, um, and you said unit trust, but you mean exchange-traded fund in this context. Correct. So, so yeah. it's the, the, the buying, so it's the total buying uh, cost of w- once you've bought the, the, the exchange-traded fund. So, so it's the brokerage, there'll be some taxes, there'll be some fees that you pay to the stock exchange as well. It's not just what you pay to, to your stockbroker. And, and that's, so that's part of the cost. And then once you go into the investment, uh, the exchange-traded fund itself also has some costs. And, and what your comment is, you need to add up the internal costs of the exchange-traded fund plus your, as the client, your buying costs, and then say, right, this is my fee now, bearing in mind that, that if you want to sell the investment one day, you're also going to have those exit costs. And so if you want to compare the apples with apples, it's saying, let, let me look at all of those fees as a package and then let me compare that to the cost of buying an index tracking unit trust, for example, where those fees are, are there, they're, they're clear and, and they're, they're transparent, uh, but, but, but then you make your comparison of apples with apples. Yeah, and that's very hard to do. You know, to actually, and I think you're absolutely right, understanding the round trip cost, we call it a round trip cost of owning an ETF versus a unit trust that tracks the same index, it, it isn't simple. And it is very difficult to understand, but I think that's the main point to note is that it's not necessarily true that an exchange traded fund is always cheaper than a unit trust because of these costs. You know, there's even, there's even things when you enter an exchange traded fund that are not actually costs. They're not explicit fees against the, what you invest, but they, are, they do have to be taken into account. And so that makes it incredibly difficult to do And our industry is not wonderful at being able to allow people to have that easy comparison between investing in an index tracking unit trust versus an index tracking ETF. And so that's, and unfortunately, it's not one of these wonderful answers where we can go and say, hey, here's a little secret tool. And if you do this, you know, you're gonna get the answer. But I do think we do need to make people aware that, you know, the, the old the adage of thinking that an ETF is cheap is not necessarily true. I think people need to bear that in mind. So, so I think to to give uh, to, to give the people um, you know listening to this and watching this uh, some clear pointers. One of the things is, and it's something we say on the show a lot, is do your homework. Make sure that you go in with your eyes wide open in, in, in a situation like this. As Grant says, so, you know, don't assume that because it's a unit trust, it's more expensive, or because it's an exchange traded fund on the other side that it's definitely cheaper. 
do your homework. And and I, I mean, I'm I'm certainly been someone that's spoken about exchange traded funds for decades now, uh, and and they've done very well for for a lot of investors. But they're, they're, I mean, they're not all exactly the same. That's an important point to understand. There might be some that are tracking the top forty or the top fifty index. That, that are much more expensive than, than, than an exactly almost identical product that, that is doing the same job, but at a much lower fee. So, so no two ETFs are identical in that sense, just purely from a cost point of view. And then internally, the way that they actually track those indices and how efficient they are is also different. And some of them are much more efficient and, and, and therefore do things at a much lower cost than the others. So, so I think it's really important in a situation like this, do your homework. So, you know, the, the, the show today shouldn't stop you from investing in index tracking uh, investments. We think, all of us, uh, that there are a good uh, solution yeah. for investors. It's just a case of saying, st start by doing your homework, which is what we want you to do anyway. I mean, that's always the deal here. You need to be informed, take control, and then implement. And, and don't just say, oh, you know, now there's more stuff I need to know about and more things I need, I need to be scared of. You don't need to be scared. You can protect yourself by, by simply doing a little bit of homework. Like Grant says, these things, uh, these products, almost all of them have what they call fact sheets. And I need to say that carefully. Uh, so, so look at the fact sheet. And then if it's an exchange traded fund, find out what your transaction costs are going to be as well. In, in simplicity point, that, that could be a way of doing this. And then for me also, you know, one of the things that you need to do is make sure that once you start this, don't chop and change. You know, don't try and every time a new product comes into the market, then add it, you know, so now someone's tracking, you know, the, the, the top seven biotech companies in Indonesia. Now you must buy it because it's happened to be launched. But the point is, if you've got a good, well-diversified index tracking investment, stay with it. It's likely to be your best performer over the next decade or two, you know, trying to chop and choose between technology, then biotech, then a crypto ETF or a crypto unit trust or, or whatever the flavor of the month is, that might make you money. It might make you feel good over the short term, but over the long term, kind of, you know, a, a simple, clear, well-diversified investment that tracks a group of one index or a group of indices, if you want a diversified portfolio, it's, it's probably going to be your best bet time and time again. Might not be the most exciting thing to talk about to your friends to say that you've, you've bought something fantastic that's so unique, but, but the point is we're not in the, in, in the business of investing to, to impress our friends. We're there to get to financial freedom. You know, actually I actually couldn't agree with you more. In fact, there are, lots of, there are actually a lot of fund managers out there that actually believe the same thing. Will it be, you know, even active fund managers that like to do the same thing, they like to just buy, buy something hold for the next 10 years and one of the reasons why is because and i think what you're saying has got so much relevance is that people underestimate the cost of moving the cost of buying something and selling something in your portfolios quickly adds up we call that when we're managing a, a portfolio we call that turnover and what happens is as you sort of when you buy something and then you sell something and buy it again you go through that entire cost cycle again and again and again. And you don't necessarily see it in your portfolio because it doesn't come through in terms of the statement of fees, but it does have a massive impact over the long term on what you're going to get out. So the, the, the sort of the common sense theory, and I think it lines exactly to what Warren said, is put something sensible together and try and put together a group of investments that you're going to hold for the next five to 10 years. You know, it, it, you know, it, you know, making short-term changes can sometimes, and in many cases, could cost you more than the gain that you make from that short-term decision. 
So I think on on uh, on that brilliant uh, uh, summary, I think we need to we we we've run out of time, and so um, I'm I'm going to leave it there and and say. Uh, to, to Grant Glock, who, whose title is head of Artfest, but uh, internally everyone knows him as the fee terminator, the man who likes to cut out fees. Uh, Grant, thanks so much for, for your time, and I, I look forward to, to chatting to you again. Warren, thank you very much, and, and yeah, I look forward to speaking to you again, and have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to Honest Money. If you have any questions, you're welcome to reach out to me on Twitter. My handle is at Warren Ingram. Don't forget to subscribe. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Chat soon.